Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. I don't even know how to begin this week because I feel as if all I did was watch movies and television and, and I don't even know if I should be embarrassed. I, you know, I think that is a fine way to spend the week. It was a lovely day outside and every in between things, I went out, stood on the back deck, took a few breaths and came back in. <laughs> so that's how great my viewing pleasure was. Okay, so... I'd like to start, if I can, because I I would like to talk about the wrap-up of Girls. Is that okay with you? Okay. Okay. You know, I I really think that since you've only seen maybe three or four episodes of this entire thing, I'm not sure you're really qualified anymore to really pay attention to this. I am curious to hear what you have to say. (laughs) Yeah, you sound really curious. (laughs) I, I think all of our listeners are going, yeah, she's really curious. Okay. I think this final season... It was some of the best television I've ever seen, you know. Wow. The raw honesty of the relationships, it just, I have to compare it to the cookie cutter Sex and the City girlfriends who always seemed to get along, always look great, and had things work out in the end. I, I just feel like in the end, and I can say this because it's all over the internet, so anybody who hasn't seen it, you're, it's just being, it's being ripped off everywhere, but... You know, most of their relationships in girls in the end break up. And you mean the relationships between the friends or between them and their no, between the girls. Between the girls. Okay. And you know, they're not gonna be friends for life, which let's face it, is probably more like real life. And in an interview, Lena Dunham, one of the things she said is, you know, when you're put together in college with people roommates and you end up spending four years with those people, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to spend the rest of your life with them. Now, I have I was in college for four years, and I have two friends that I call friends from my college years. And and so I I really I sort of like that about it. And, and the wrap-up of Hannah in the last episode, it's only Hannah and Marnie and Hannah's mother. Everybody else has already said their goodbyes in the episode before, and that was a Judd Apatow idea and it was actually brilliant because the the second to last episode wraps up everybody else and then the last episode can really focus solidly on the Hannah character and Marnie who will be her friend for life and also that mother-daughter relationship which now is going to extend to her son um and so that wrap up of Hannah and her child in the last segment it's just genius and the last few minutes of 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 the entire series is just Hannah's face as she and her son bond with breastfeeding. And all I can tell you is she's mesmerizing and it shows her growth as an actress over these last seven years, which I always thought was a primary reason for g- girls' success, but was never really acknowledged enough. I always felt that that Lena Dunham is a great actor and her acting ability was one of the things that carried the series. So, okay, so... So this last season, I don't, you know, I'm not sure how to lay this to you, but I put it up there with, you know, the West Wing. I do. I'm going to put her in line with Aaron Sorkin. I know. Shocking. My life is a mess, and I know that that was a personal choice. Maybe it is time for me to unchoose that choice. We have to mine our lives for the truth. But I want to go back, if I can, because I know we can't spend the entire 40 minutes, which I could, on this on this show. But could I be just the want end to of go... our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but you know what? I appreciate your open-mindedness, and I'm, I'm sure your questions are going to be open-minded rather than proving your point. But anyway, 
I just want to go back uh, to the early years for a second. So when I first saw it, the first two episodes I saw in one sitting, and I walked away from it for two years. I thought it was crass. I thought it was on the other side of light, you know, but I thought it was dark in that way that, you know, threatens your own view of a day, you know. So I, I didn't I didn't like it. And, you know, I, I sort of felt like it was where you were wishing that you were anywhere but where you were when you were watching it. <laughs> and then I came back to it a year later. And after Nora Ephron, who, by the way, I will point out, you think is fabulous, right? I've enjoyed much of Nora Ephron's work. And I know that she mentored Lena Dunham and had her over to her dinner parties and kind of anointed her the writer of her generation. Yeah, more than mentored her, she basically felt that she was the Nora Ephron of her generation. So, I mean, that's the point. They were the same horoscope sign. Well, and you know what? That maybe means you should maybe look a little further into it. But anyway, I agree with Nora Ephron, who said that Lena Dunham is the best writer of her generation. I think that I may be the voice of my generation, or at least a voice of a generation. But it's not just this unbridled writing that basically unflinchingly looks into her own self-centered soul without apology, but with interest and kindness. And I, I feel like it's such a good mirror for those people coming up to look at your own issues that you have without apology, but with interest and kindness is how I saw her looking at things. And the way that a mother looks at her daughter. You made a choice. Guess what? It's the first one you can't take back. It's also the way she plays her on screen. You know, her fearless exposure of her own body is like Lucian Freud nude painting, as far as I'm concerned. But he never painted his own body in full view, by the way. I might point out that Lucian Freud, who everybody says was so raw in his ability to look at the nude, she's doing it with her own body, which he never did. So she's the one the only one who's been really willing to do it. And one of the things that I'm I read... I'm viewing that as a shortcoming on Lucian Freud's part. I mean, just for the record. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do, actually. But but she, but she. one of the things that people are saying is six seasons into it, people were still talking about how someone with a body that looks like hers shouldn't be naked on screen. And I'm glad that she could care less what they think. I liked it. So, so you can't, you cannot diminish the accomplishment. You can't. You know, she said in a recent interview that if she died in her 90s and they said she was the writer of girls and that's all they said about her, she would be okay with that. And I thought, I thought that was lovely. I want every day to be exciting <laughs> and scary. <laughs> Sometimes I just wish someone would tell me this is how the rest of your life should look. I would say that if she continues to look in the mirror, with such a brave certainty, you know, through the next phases of her life and shares them with everyone without a trace of self-serving filter, then uh, they will be talking about her accomplishments the way they speak about Meryl Streep's films, in my opinion, that she lived many lives and learned from all of them, bringing her true self to each and every one in each and every phrase. So I just, I want to end with a thank you, Lena Dunham. I, you have enriched my life substantially with your, with your television show. Well, she does certainly come across as very real, but you know where I stand. As someone who would like to believe in the long and enduring bonds of friendship, if I had to sum it up in one word, solipsistic. You always have to be, use those big Harvard words that I have to look up, so I can't really respond to because I have no idea what that word even means. <laughs> I but, only got one word. But I, but I would like to have the last word on her, so I want to say for millions and millions and millions of people in their 20s and early 30s, thank you. You know, thank you for being so honest in your approach, Lena Dunham. I think you're amazing, so. This is it, honey, and this is forever.
Okay, so now you uh, you were watching TV the, too this week. Tell the truth. You were out there, right, watching television? I heard. Now, I don't Bernie know that me. I need to be admonished <laughs> to tell the truth. I was watching a new show. It's original programming brought to us by Netflix, and it's called Ingobernable. Oh, my gosh. It's in Spanish and English. Okay. And I just got to share this premise with you. Okay. I think this is such an interesting premise. It takes place in Mexico, and it centers around the Mexican first lady, played by Kate Del Castillo, who's one of the most popular actresses in Mexico. What have I seen her in? What uh, have I? You probably saw her on Weeds. Oh, okay. Yep, she made her U.S. breakthrough back in 2007. It was a movie called Under the Same Moon, and even today, it is the biggest grossing Spanish language theatrical release in American history. Wow. Huh. Yep. So wait, how, so is it a series? It I is. Mean, how, what, what, Original uh, what's series, the... Netflix, okay. and she's this very popular first lady, kind of like an Evita figure, right? So when the series opens, you realize that she wants to divorce her husband, who is the standing president of Mexico. So she's holed up in this big hotel room, and the president... Such a good idea, I might have. Right? And, you know, it's just such a scandal that she really wants to get divorced while he's still president. So the president, who she's been married to for over 20 years, shows up, and he is so ticked off. Nadie deja a un presidente. Prometimos... He's waving the divorce papers and he's like, there's no way I'm ever going to sign these. Okay, so his entire security detail stays outside because they're clearly going to have this huge marital spat, right? Okay. Things get out of hand, a little bloody, a little violent. She calls their 21-year-old daughter who doesn't pick up because she's in the middle of a torrid affair. Of course <laughs> okay, she so, is. Because, of you course, know. right? <laughs> so the husband shoves her against the wall. She crumples down. She reaches inside the nightstand. She pulls out a gun. And he's like, go ahead, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. Okay, things progress. I'm not really giving anything away because it's the very beginning of the series. But talk about grabbing the viewers immediately. He does just a huge swan dive off the balcony. He falls to his death on top of a car that's waiting for the big press statement. So all the press is down below. He's dead. The Secret Service storm inside the hotel room to see if the First Lady's okay. And you later find out he's died from a bullet hole to the forehead, not from the fall. And when she comes to, she's got a gun in her hand. So you realize somebody is framing her for the death of her husband. Hmm. What an interesting premise, because you have no idea how their marriage blew apart so spectacularly, what their personal divisions were, what their political divisions were, because she had helped to get him elected. Okay, now wait, I have to interrupt you here. You know what this trend, this trend the, the excitement that, with which you're speaking about this, what does it remind you of? Oh, you talking about girls? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm not I'm not gonna let you I'm not gonna let you tear down girls anymore. No, my dear, it's the good wife. Oh okay. and you love I can kind the good of see wife. that. Yes. I did love the good wife, but I would have compared it more to the fugitive because now oh. she's on the run. Okay. So when the first episode concludes, and I thought this was a brilliant twist, you realize not only was she quote unquote just the first lady, but she had been trained in special ops herself. Si ustedes creen que saben cómo buscarla, Emilia Uquiza sabe perfectamente cómo esconderse. 
So, of course, because she can speak Spanish, she's fleeing from everybody in six-inch heels. So you're right. Maybe it is like the good wife because, you know, she's going to get the good clothes. <laughs> but it's got cool music. It, it just feels fresh and original. And, of course, the title means ungovernable. But also, if you're talking about a child in particular, uncontrollable or unmanageable. Hmm. Well, it sounds great. Now, I do. You, I bet you anything that they end up doing one in English. What do you think? I hope they don't. Because, you know, since it yeah, does take too. place in Mexico, there are American characters who speak English. And in real life, Kate Del Castillo, the star, she was appointed ambassador for the Mexican Commission on Human Rights oh gosh. to combat Amazing. human trafficking. So I thought, okay, it's kind of like a little real life spillover, but she seems like a superhero and designer clothing. Huh. I find it intriguing. Well, while you were watching Spanish subtitles <laughs> and not multitasking about anything, I went to see Gifted. Please don't make me go. You can keep homeschooling me. Tell you everything I know. No more argument, okay? We've discussed this ad nauseum. What's ad nauseum? You don't know? Wow, looks like someone needs school. For those of you who haven't heard about it, it's out in the theaters now, and it's pretty, it's got a very big distribution. It did quite well first weekend, so I'm sure it'll be out there. So briefly, let's say. Okay, so the brother um, doesn't stop his genius sister from suicide. Oh, dear. And ends up, yeah, ends up raising her now seven-year-old, who is also a math genius. Um, and then the helicopter grandmother swoops in to finish the job of garnering fame for the family name with the granddaughter. And the fight begins. So the grandmother comes in to get the the grandchild because now she can succeed at getting a, you know, a mathematician in the highest form. So um, it's it's got a lot of stuff going on. So it's got so much from so many. So Kramer versus Kramer, where, you know, where in the end, Meryl does the right thing and gives the, the guy the kid. You know, what about I am Sam? You know, there are so many of these plot lines, but this is where it's different. So the grandmother doesn't do the right thing in the end, you know, and all those Kramer versus Kramer, you know, all those kinds of movies. In the end, the child is given to that person who hung in there when everybody else walked away. You know, well, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it's actually brilliant. And so I won't I won't ruin the movie by telling you that. But the kid is a genius, a math genius, no less. And she's a girl. Oh, Fantastic. Oh I know. It's like hidden figures. And now this I mean. Imagine our gender luck in having this movie come out like this. Okay, there's a breakout performance in this, and her name is McKenna Grace, um, who plays the seven-year-old math uh, genius. And there's a point she has to write on the blackboard, pages of numbers, and they actually had to be right. So all these formulas and infinity signs and all this stuff. And anyway, this kid memorized it, which I assure you was no small feat. I, I couldn't even read it out loud, let alone memorize it. Mary, can you stand up, please? Can you tell me what 57 multiplied by 135 is? Okay. Who cares? 7,695. The square root is 87.7 and change. Now, what does ad nauseum mean? I think she's an upcoming Dakota Fanning. I think she's going to be that Dakota Fanning kid. You can't take your eyes off her. And also, Octavia Spencer shows up. If anybody takes that baby away, I'll smother you in your sleep. She's not in it a lot, but she's in it consistently. And it's always good to see Octavia, you know, dancing, don't you think? I love her. And I read an interesting article about her recently. She started out as a production assistant. She's originally from Alabama. 
And when she was still in high school, they were filming The Long Walk Home in Montgomery. One of my favorite films, by the way. It's really, really, really good. So Octavia Spencer was 16 years old. And okay. she wandered over to the set, and she got herself a job as an intern. I'm just so thrilled that now she's a household word. You know what? You got to do the ask. That, if you haven't seen it, is definitely hashtag Blast from the Past film, A Long Walk Home. I get a hashtag. I'm so excited. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Well, Chris Evans plays the brother who's raising uh, raising little Mary. And, you know, first of all, I forgive him. He's done two Captain America movies and one Avengers movie. <laughs> And so I, of course, would have never have seen him before. Um, but welcome to our world, Chris. You, you actually have crossed to the other side. So, And while you're good looking and you sort of look like all those other good looking guys these days, like I don't know about you, but every guy in TV today is like about six feet tall, quite slender, short sort of sandy colored hair. They all look the same. They're interchangeable. I'm not complaining. And, um, I know. Well, yeah, I am. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, give me an Al Pacino any day. But um, but he, he can act. And, uh, and so can Jenny Slate, who plays Mary's teacher. And I looked her up, and she's got about five movies coming out this year. So she's she's got a lot of stuff going on. But I recommend Gifted. I think it's a really good film. I do. I was interested in it because it was directed by Mark Webb. And Mark Webb, I saw it eight or nine years ago at the Apple Store in Soho in New York. He was giving a talk. It was really interesting. He got his start doing music videos. Huh. And then he directed 500 Days of Summer. Which was a movie I really enjoyed. I know. I you I, I watched that at your recommendation. I couldn't quite get into it, but I saw I saw the intellect behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wait, he's the same director as who did Gifted? Yep. He also did the amazing Spider-Man. He catches the moments really, really well. And there's a one-eyed cat in it. Oh. Um, and it's actually his cat. They brought really? his cat from home to be in the movie, yes. Wow. Yeah, and it's got a really great role, this one-eyed cat, and it comes in and out in a couple of places that are very, very important. Should I even ask how it lost its eye? No one knows, oh. and he doesn't know either. <laughs> I read that he, they found it, they got him, they got this one-eyed cat at the pound, and uh, so they, he brought it to the set and used the one his one-eyed cat. So there you go. Wow. So I think I think uh, gifted is a gift. I would definitely take a moment and uh, and go and go look at it if you're looking for something to see. Now you know what's coming out Saturday night, just two two days from now on HBO. Oprah Winfrey, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lackey. Oh. Okay, well, it was a book that you might have gotten at the library. <laughs> I did not um, read the book. I will okay, now. Okay, Henrietta Lackey had cancer. Mm-hmm. And the government, without telling her, took her cells and figured a lot of stuff out around it, but they never knew. She had breast cancer. And her daughter is the is the person telling the story. And Oprah Winfrey stars in it. Of course, you know how I feel about Oprah. I think she really doesn't need to star and take away spots from other people. But it's coming out on Saturday night on HBO. And it's yet again another really interesting example of HBO doing, you you know, programming that's out of the gate, right? Interesting. I'm assuming Oprah's probably producing as well. Now, you did you watch another? Didn't you watch another television? Didn't I hear through the grapevine? Why? Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know how I missed the series. I had heard talk about it, and then okay. I realized that it is part of our new Acorn subscription. So, okay. Yes, it's called A Place to Call Home. It's an Australian series. They're currently filming their fifth season, and many have called it the Down Under Downton. <laughs> 
Oh my God, Which, that's course, so funny. Has my name all over it, right? We have all fallen into assigned roles in this little melodrama. So like Amy Sherman Palladino's new series, The Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, this one also takes place in the 50s. Oh, And it's okay. interesting. The creator of the show said that he chose the 50s because he thought people had more drama in their lives then. Really? You know, right? Maybe that's just our, our perception of what it must have been like in the 50s. I can't believe anybody would say that. That's so funny. Right? You know, but the Wall Street Journal dubbed it an instantly irresistible saga. So who was huh. I to try to resist it? Just sucked me right in from the start. Oh my gosh. Okay. Huh. So here's the premise. An Australian okay. nurse, she's returning to Australia for the first time in 20 years, which means she has been in Europe during World War II, before that, the Spanish Civil War. It's amazing she's alive. Exactly, <laughs> right? But you realize she's had a lot of trauma, and she's probably got a few skeletons, and who knows what's befallen her, right, in the 20 years she's been away. She gets off the ship. She goes to visit her mother. And you expect this great, warm, homecoming welcome, right? Hello, Mother. Take your due name and go. I have no daughter. You're already immediately thinking, why? Like, what happened between these two characters? Okay, now, while she was on this ocean liner returning from Europe to Australia, she meets the wealthy Bly family, okay, on her passage home. Not Nellie Bly. <laughs> Not Nellie Bly, but she's the only nurse who can handle the irascible matriarch of this wealthy Bly family. Okay, the matriarch's son falls for the nurse, and his son, so now you've already got three generations, right? At the very end of the pilot, tries to commit suicide. James, come away from there. I wasn't doing anything. Come back. He tried to jump overboard. That's ridiculous. Well, it sounds like Titanic in reverse. Exactly, you know? exactly. You're already thinking, wow, what has all these characters so troubled and smitten and, you know, what's going on? So it deals with class issues for sure, race issues, gender issues, anti-Semitism. You find out there's a gay character like Downton also. It's a multi-generational family. It's a saga, right, of drama, romance, intrigue. And of course, you've got this beautiful setting because it takes place in Australia. And the actress who plays the matriarch of the Bly family is Noni Hazelhurst. Hers are the actions of someone with something significant to hide. Noni Hazelhurst? Yes. That's a name. That's a name, by the way, that means you have to do something important. <laughs> exactly. You'll... A Pulitzer or an actor. Or something. You know, she's deserving of all those things. Yes. We mentioned yeah. her in our podcast a while back now when we were at the Hampton International Film Festival, and it was that opening night film, Truth about Dan Rather and Kate Blanchett was in it and Robert Redford and Noni Hazelhurst, there was a scene that she just chewed up where she played Stacey Keach's wife. They gave her a really small part, but I thought she was the best thing about that movie. I remember. I remember you mentioning it, yeah. Yep, and then yeah. we tweeted about her last year. They gave her in Australia the Logies Hall of Fame Award. And her speech went viral. Some people <laughs> were saying she should really run for prime minister. Oh, that was interminable. I was nearly too old to play myself. Um, well, I'm feeling pretty misty-eyed at the moment, but I often get misty-eyed about things. I'm known for it. If something touches my heart, I cry pretty readily. In fact, when my sons were teenagers and driving me up the wall and trying to get a reaction so they could watch me go off like a frog in a sock, 
I would sometimes start to cry and they would start a slow hand clap and say, oh, BAFTA. Yeah, Noni Hazelhurst. So for anyone who wants to try out their free week on acorn.tv, a place to call home. Okay, but we already had them use their free week before. I know. I feel like I'm now doing ads. I know. At this I know. rate, our Acorn subscription is going to become an oak. Exactly. But I, I think exactly. it's like $4.99 a month after you can quit at any time. Well, so. you know, I got rid of cable and I only do these. I mean, I'm spending less, you know, focusing on these, these great places you can go to get great content. So it sounds like a great show. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to definitely watch it. Okay. Now I did go see the Shirley MacLaine uh, movie, The Last Word. The thought of leaving my obituary to chance is completely unreasonable to me. Well, I am the obituary writer, so when the time comes, I will be writing her obituary. I want you to write it now. Huh. Here's the names of a few hundred people. Where she joins Amanda Seyfried um, mm-hmm. in a trip down the rewrite the history of my own life lane <laughs> with a month of getting it right outside the family tree is the way I, I like to say it. Um, so where has Amanda been? Like, where'd she go? She is really a good actor and she, the screen loves her. Yeah. She's been on TV. Oh, she has. And what? We, we, I haven't seen her in anything. Love, but yeah. I guess that was a while back. Yeah. No, she hasn't, she has not been on the screen and I don't know why, cause she's really, really good. She was on Les Mis. Okay. Well, Les Mis was four years, five years ago. Love the Coopers. You know, no, not feeling it. I'm just... <laughs> I know. I don't think we really loved the okay, Coopers. Okay. I think she should be getting better roles and especially because there's such, you know, I, I'm just surprised and I, I want you to know that I missed her and I didn't even know I missed her because I forgot about her, which shame on me. But anyway, she's great in this and so is Shirley MacLaine. And, and there, there are some great lines in this movie and I'm just going to give you one of my favorites. Um, Shirley MacLaine at one point says, her ambition was destroyed by self-doubt. There, oh. Yeah, there are these amazing lines in it that sort of like take you aback and you want to write them down in the middle of the movie because you know that they're going to mean something to you later. But here's what I figured out about Shirley MacLaine. So she is such a character in real life. You know, she's like that, you know, that aunt that embarrasses you when you're in a crowd, you know, that one's <laughs> lucky for her. Being herself works in so many movies as the, being the same quirky character that she actually is, that the only time I really ever felt her leave the safety of her own kookiness was in The Turning Point, which um, where she plays a ballet dancer that chooses a different path from professional ballet. And in real life, she was a dancer. Yeah, so. I, and she really, uh, in that role, she really comes out of that, you know, let me hide behind my, you know, weirdness. Um <laughs> And it's with Anne Bancroft. I'm going to make that our hashtag blast from the past film for this week, The Turning Point. And have you seen it? I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah, Anne Bancroft and Shirley MacLaine. I think Anne was up for a, I, I say her name like I know her. Anne was up for, <laughs> Anne Bancroft was up, I think, for a bunch of awards. Yes, it was nominated for 11 Oscars. Yeah, it's it's a good blast from the past that nobody's watched in years and years and years. So I would definitely pick that up if I were you. Now, Hollister, is it just me? Or it seems of late, Shirley MacLaine just keeps playing a crank pot well, she's playing herself okay <laughs> but is she still even quirky or is she just a crank pot because I, I don't know i mean we talked about this in our down abbey podcast but i was so excited when i heard she was going to be on it i was expecting this great counterweight to maggie smith and she just seemed cranky well i liked her in it better than you did but but i do think she plays herself except for in the turning point so 
I don't, you know, maybe we, somebody can sort of come on social media and tell us what you think, but I'm not a big fan of her overall ability to come out of her own skin and play another skin. But, um, but I like the last word and I want to have the last word on that. I think it, I think it was worth seeing and it's already gone. It, it had a very, very small distribution and it didn't do well. Maybe the, one of the reasons it didn't do well is there's third person in this film, which is a young uh, girl of color who Shirley McLean's quote going to fix. And that it just didn't fit. It was almost like if you took that part out, then the movie would have all been all the better. It should have just been between Shirley and Amanda. But um, so it's not a great film, but it has great moments and it has great lines. And Amanda is really good. So uh, that's why I recommend it. When I saw the trailer, it immediately called to mind a documentary that we talked about last summer called Obit about the writing of the obituaries oh, in the I New York that. Times. I remember that, yeah. I loved it, yeah. What about even her yeah. early stuff, like the trouble with Harry, the apartment? No, you know. You still thought yeah. she was just the well, was original Ocean's that Eleven? odd person. Turning point. The turning point. Go see it. I want to hear from you what you thought of it. Okay, I don't even know how to say this, but I came up with this great film and sent you the YouTube uh, trailer for it, and I swear mm-hmm. to God that I read that it was on Netflix and that we should watch it over the Easter weekend, and we can't find it anywhere. And both of us loved, we were enamored by the trailer. I'm so sorry. Can you just like fill everybody in on what the movie is and maybe they can tell us where we can see it? Yes, it's called The Bailier Family, and it was a huge hit in <sighs> France and across <sighs> Europe two years ago. It looked so good. Everyone kept calling it the feel-good movie of the year. Funny, poignant. Yes, moving. Yeah, and it was about a girl and both of her parents are deaf, but she can hear. So she can sign. She can also speak. She goes to a new school. She goes into the choir class and it's that terrible moment. It would be terrible for me, right? Where she's still singing and everyone else has stopped. And the teacher looks at her and says, "Um, can you see me after class? So she's so mortified. And it turns out that she's a musical prodigy. So the teacher really wants to encourage her. And she is worried that it's going to cause a rift between her and her parents who can't hear if music becomes her life. I loved this premise. I know, it was great. Mes chers parents, je pars. Ça m'excuse pas tout d'être sourd. Je vous déteste. Mais je pars. All right, now, here's the thing. Normally, I can buy it on iTunes. It's not even there. So if anybody's heard of it, but it then led us to, we were going to watch it. We were so excited. In fact, you actually emailed me back and said, love this, which Mm -hmm. I'm not usually the one that comes up with foreign films that people are going to (laughs) love. So I was so excited. And now we can't find the film that I swear was supposed to be in Netflix. So I I think it was on Netflix and was removed. Oh, really? You can watch the reverse image. (laughs) <laughs> on YouTube in German. I think somebody held up a mirror or something yeah, so they wouldn't get in copyright yeah, exactly. trouble. Yeah, um, okay, but it leads us to our list of six this week, which we had decided to do alongside this fabulous film that you're not going to hear about. Uh, so we decided to do our favorite uh, French films. Yes, and you know, just one last word on this film that we still haven't watched, The Bailey Family. I've heard that American Sign Language is most closely related to French Sign Language more so than with British Sign Language. And I thought this was really interesting because some people have said that the French sensibilities are closer to the American sensibilities, you know, comedic sensibilities, etc., than the British, with whom we presumably share a language. And when I was thinking about my favorite French movies, I thought, you know, I kind of see the point. 
with some of these, especially comedies that come over from France, I find them very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, you know, their, their nuance around comedy, I think, is excellently, is really, really good. All right. So we're going to do our list of six, which are our favorite French films. And I'm going to kick it off with um, Au Revoir, Les Enfants from oh, Louis Malls. What a good choice. Yeah, thank you. I thought it was really good. Very, very good choice. Yeah, a French boarding school run by priests seems to be a haven from World War II until a new student arrives. He becomes the roommate of the top student in his class, rivals at first, the roommates form a bond and share a secret, and nobody can do things like Louis Malle. I mean, I, I love this film. I've seen it a couple of times, and I certainly would give it a hashtag blast from the past film uh, accoutrement, wouldn't you? I definitely would. And of course, he was married to Candace Bergen for all those years up until his death. He was, yeah. I used to see them walking in the park with their child in, uh, in Central Park, with their child in a stroller, arm no in arm way. on Sundays. Yeah, they would Aww. just stroll through the park, talking earnestly, you know, in, engrossed in each other and conversation. And um, yeah, it was lovely. Your life already sounds like a movie, Hollister. That sounds like Sunday in the park with Louie and Candace. Yeah, and Justine, of course. <laughs> um, okay, what say you? What's your first? Okay, this is just embarrassing. You start off with such a good one. <laughs> Which, by the way, everyone's expecting you to have the really good ones, not me. let's lower those false expectations right out of the (laughs) gate. Okay. This is a movie that I saw at the St. Augustine Film Festival last year, and it's called No Femme, or forgive my French pronunciation, but Our Wives. Okay. This was just a movie. As in plural? as, As in plural. It just made me laugh. It's about three older adult men, and they have been friends forever since they were little boys, right? They still go on vacation together. They still get together once a week to play cards and drink and whatever. So this movie opens and two of them are waiting for the third. The aging Lothario is just late. And they're like, where is he? And I can't wait all night and yada, yada, yada. He finally shows up. (laughs) And he is a total mess, and he announces that he has just by mistake strangled his much younger wife. (laughs) Well, I can see that. That works for me. I think younger wives should all be strangled, frankly. J'ai tué Estelle. Il y a trois quarts d'heure, avec mes mains. Tu l'as égorgée Non, je l'ai étranglée. Mais ça, c'est quoi, ça Ça, c'est les cerises. Mais t'es sûr qu'elle est... Oh, putain. And it's one of these movies that feels like a play because the dynamic keeps shifting between the three men, the alliances, and it was actually a very interesting expose on the limits of friendship because the other two have to decide whether or not they're going to provide him with an alibi. Huh. It's a light, fluffy comedy, one that I will say only the French could pull off. Well, there you go. I mean, I've never heard of it, actually, so that makes it interesting. For my second, I'm going to go with the 1991 Van Gogh. Did you see it? You know, I never saw that. It's so beautifully photographed, and for someone like me who doesn't love subtitles, it's just not my favorite thing. Um, But it's beautifully photographed and really well acted, so... You know, it's just the detail. It's it, it's it's really restrained, but it's just this. It's the last three months of Van Gogh's life, and you don't even have to listen to it. You can just watch it and get a lot out of it. And you know, such a tormented three months it was. And I love Van Gogh is one of my top five painters that I love to see. And so I am going to go with Van Gogh, 1991, another 
hashtag blast from the past film for sure. Once again, you've gone with a tormented artist. I know. I want you to know I'm quite proud. The ear shipped off in the mail, and I'm going to go. I may go. not have found the movie we were supposed to review, but I got the list of six down pat. <laughs> and yep. I'm going I'm to go with another comedy. <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Okay, wait, wait till you hear my last one. Oh, my God. Oh, that's too funny. Okay, I'm going to go with Romantics Anonymous. It was a 2010 film, and it kind of a two-hander. It's a guy who is a boss of a small chocolate factory. Okay, the entire movie makes you want to eat chocolate so much. I'm just going to tell you this, that. I saw this, actually. It's a wonderful movie. You're absolutely right. Wonderful. Vous aimez le chocolat? Oui, il faut, il faut quand même pour... Merci. A woman, Angelique, she shows up, she's the new hire, and she's a very gifted chocolate maker. But the thing is, not only do they both share this passion for chocolate, but they are both pathologically shy. Hmm. So again, I thought it was a very original romantic comedy to see if these two extremely timid people can actually get together. Uh, that's a good one. I, li- I like it. And I like the film. I thought it was very funny and very well done. Really well done. A little bonbon. There you go. I'm going to end with um, Hiroshima Monomore. <laughs> and first of all, you know how I am about titles, but I love the oxymoronic position of this title. Like, how could Hiroshima, you know, Monomore? I mean, it's just too funny, right? The The Hiroshima cloud has just, you know, it has such, you can see a picture of it and you know exactly what it, what it was. You know exactly the torment it caused. You, you just... You know, everything around it. And I thought this movie was really well done. You know, it was done in 1959, so it was very soon after this whole thing happened. And I think it's really worth seeing. So I'm going to go with Hiroshima Mona Moore. Mine are all old and yours are all new. Isn't that weird? Mine are new. And for my last one, I'm going to go with a 2004 film called Look at Me. I was going to go with Amelie, which is I now knew, on Broadway. I thought you were going to do that, yeah. I know, but I thought maybe that's too obvious, so I'll go a well, little more Well, isn't it interesting that you snuck it in there, so that's your number four. And I might be a dreamer, but it's gotten me this far, and that is far enough for me. I don't know if you ever saw Look at Me, but it was about a French girl with a very famous father. And the girl has a total complex about her weight and her appearance. And she's convinced that her voice coach is only expressing an interest in her so she can meet the famous father. Hmm. It was written by and starred the married couple team, and again, I'm going to butcher the names, of Agnès Jouy and Jean-Pierre Bacry. And they won Best Screenplay at the Cannes Film Festival that year. And Jouy also directed it. So it's kind of just an observational character study, but it's got a lot of deep things to say about fame and self-image, but with a very light touch. So we just, you and I just flipped on each other. Like I I did the old films, you did the new ones. I did the serious with great depth films. Louis Maul, come on. I mean, I can't believe you didn't have one of his somewhere around there. I'm so impressed by you. Are you? I really wanted to impress you. I did. You really did. Thank you. It was magnifique. And you came up with the whole topic, so yeah. So well, yeah, around a film that we didn't get to watch, but other than that, <laughs> but I did really well. So I'm gonna leave it there. I think we should end right now with me on the top here. I think it's great. So, <laughs> so looking forward to next week and whatever we're gonna do then. Over and out. <laughs>